Well, I just got to tell you, I love Christmas and I love celebrating Christmas with you. Even if it's at a distance, just knowing that we are together watching the service today and participating uh, brings joy to my heart. I love the season. I love the lights. I love just the festivity. Uh, and I know that things are really different this year uh, in our ability to gather and our ability to be with each other and even in each other's homes is, is definitely limited. But my prayer for you, church, is that the joy of the Lord would fill your homes and fill your hearts this season. I, I hope you're enjoying the questions we're having each week. Uh, last week, we talked about, the question was, fun or functional? Do you like gifts that are fun or functional? And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, the, the winner was functional, though some of you emphasized the fun in functional, so maybe a bit of both. But, but the clear winner was we love gifts that we're actually able to use maybe even all throughout the year. So here's our question for today. Are you ready? Here we go. It's another uh, question regarding gifts and opening of gifts. So in your home, is it Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, or a bit of both? Do you open presents on Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, or a bit of both, you maybe open some on Christmas Eve, or there's special gifts you open on Christmas Eve, and then everything else is on Christmas morning or Christmas Day. Uh, let us know in the comments what what the tradition is in your home, and then I'll let you know next week which the winner is. Uh, I know, I, I have my favorite. We want to hear what yours is. I want to encourage you, invite family, invite friends to join you in service next Sunday as we celebrate Christmas, uh, it's an important time of the year. Every, uh, every year when we come to this season, one of the things we do as a church, and we uh, want to keep doing that even this year, is we talk about our VIPs, who are the very important people in our lives that we would love to pray for and encourage and invite to be with us in service next, next week for our Christmas service or for the candlelight service on Christmas Eve. So I want to encourage you List out those names, pray for them, invite them to join you for service, and uh, you, can, you can engage with each other online, and uh, just be a good thing to be able to, to gather together. Hey, we're been to, we've been talking about some different ca Christmas carols. We're into week three now, and uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now again, I'm not going to sing it for you. And uh, I can hear the amens even, even through the TV that there's amens. I'm not going to sing the song, but uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, uh, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, God and Sinners Reconciled. And there's a number of verses to that, that, that uh, song, to that hymn, to that Christmas carol. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about where that hymn where that Christmas carol originated. Uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing was written in 1739 uh, by a gentleman named Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley. Uh, he was the brother of John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church. And uh, you've probably, if you've never heard of his name, you've probably, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably sung one of his hymns other than Hark the Herald Angels Sing. In fact, Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns, 6,000 different hymns that he wrote. Um, 
And when he wrote Hark the Herald Angel Sings, he, he wrote the, the lyrics. What, what would often happen is that someone would write the lyrics and then someone else would write the music. And so he wrote the lyrics for this hymn. And then when it came to putting it to music, he actually requested uh, a, a slower, more solemn uh, pace of music or um, just a, a rhythm of music for this particular uh, for this particular Christmas carol and for this hymn, uh, he actually envisioned his 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 vision for this this hymn was that it would be sung to the tune of his Easter hymn, "Christ the Lord is Risen Today," uh, and it's just got got kind of a slower melody uh, to it. It was in 1855, though, that John Whitehead uh, adapted the 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 music and the lyrics to a cantata written by Felix Mendelssohn and that's the hymn that we have today and there's just a a real celebratory uh, feel and pace to the song hark the herald angels sing and uh, even though Charles his desire was to be a little more solemn uh, which is appropriate given the lyrics and how honoring of the Lord they are there's definitely a sense of jubilation and, and excitement that, that is uh, kind of conveyed through this hymn as well. I always sing, when we sing this hymn, I always picture this Christmas carol, I, I picture the angels. I picture that the multitude of heaven in that night sky just singing at the top of their lungs, glorifying God and, and bringing honor to the baby Jesus. Uh, a powerful hymn. He talks about in, in verse 2 that, Christ by Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Uh, it says that he is uh, that we need to hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. A sense of hope that undergirds this Christmas carol, and so as you would even sing that or hear that music. A little bit of where it's come from, but also that it would just just spur that in you, that, that sense of hope for this season. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. It was the prophet Isaiah who actually wrote about the king that was to be born. He writes in Isaiah 9, and we'll read the, the passage in just a second. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Isaiah writes in, in Isaiah 9, there's a, a long uh, song and poem that he writes, and, and it's a, a chapter of the Bible that's written in a particularly dark season uh, for Israel. They've been conquered by the Assyrians, the different tribes of Israel have been scattered, there's invaders that are coming in from the north, and, and many of the people have been taken captive. It is not a, a, I think sometimes we can read the Bible and we don't understand the, the context or the historical situation that they were facing. Isaiah writes this, this portion of Scripture, this prophetic portion of Scripture, in the midst of incredible trials, in the midst of incredible trouble within the nation of Israel and within their history. But he writes with hope, and he writes pointing towards the Savior that would come. And so let's read this together, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. I love that, that his kingdom will never cease to, 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 to be a kingdom. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from, the time, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We've been talking this year about God is. It's been our theme for this year. And looking at scripture to understand and, and, and understand afresh the, the nature and the character of who God is, why he functions the way he is, what his, what his purpose in the world is, and how he engages with his creation and how we are called to engage with him. That last line in this, pas- this portion of scripture, in this passage, says this, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I want to start there. That there was a passion and there was just this, this fervor for the Lord to do a work in the world. And all of the things that, that we have experienced, all of the things that we look back on historically and biblically were accomplished because of the passion of God, because of his zeal to do something in the world and in us. When I read Isaiah chapter 9, the question that comes to mind is this for me. So this question, who is in charge? Who is in charge? When my kids were younger, they reached an age, when they reached that age where we could uh, leave them on their own, Megan and I would maybe run an errand or go on a date. And uh, when our older kids got to that age where the younger kids, uh, they could babysit rather the younger kids, it was a great time for Megan and I. I think we were out like three or four nights a week at that point. We're like, yay, freedom. Uh, We didn't have to hire a babysitter. But when we would leave, we would always say, well, someone is in charge. Usually our oldest, Micah, was the one who was put in charge. And then when Blake got a little bit older, we would share that. Or if one of them wasn't there, then the other would be charged. And maybe it was the same in your house growing up, or maybe you've done the same thing with your, your kids. It was always, who's in charge? Who is the person who has been entrusted with the authority to keep the house, to make sure everything's going the way it's supposed to, whether that's everyone gets something to eat or everyone goes to bed at the right time or they clean up after themselves or whatever that was. But in our house, and it was probably like this in your house, it almost always didn't go well. It hardly ever went well because whoever it was who had the authority, whoever was left in charge quite often because of their age and maybe not the lack of maturity when they were younger, would let it go to their head. And this idea of, I'm, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, you have to do what I tell you to do. And I know when I was a kid, I didn't like that. And when you were a kid, you probably didn't like that either. Who is in charge? Maybe you've been wondering that this year, I think with everything going on this year, there can be the sense of who's, who's in control? Who has control of what's happening in the world? See, the problem with power and authority in a broken world is this, is that it it almost never goes well. Historically, when we look back through history, there are stories and accounts over and over and over of people who try to take authority and take control and wield that authority to benefit themselves, to put themselves in a position 
where they come out ahead, where everyone is made to serve them. Everyone, it's what their whims, their wishes, their desires become the most important thing, and everyone else exists to support them. And it doesn't go well. It doesn't end well. And if you've had any history classes, you know that. You can probably name the stories. The reality is, is that there are rulers and kings and nations that have risen and fallen, that have emerged and then are now just written on pages of history, that they, they don't even exist anymore, that they've come and gone, and that that power was a vapor, that it was here and it was gone, and all of that control really at the end of the day meant nothing the truth is, is that God is in control. Isaiah 9 reminds us, and we'll talk a little bit about what Jesus ushers in through his birth, but God is in control. Through the birth of Jesus into this world as a baby, God establishes his kingdom forever, his eternal king, kingdom, and it will not end. And that he assumes and he takes back that rulership over this world. In fact, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that we are ambassadors of that kingdom as followers of, of Jesus, as believers in Jesus Christ, as sons and daughters of the king, that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God here on earth. And that is really our citizenship, and that is where our allegiance is as well. But it's more than that. It's also the place where we put our trust, that Jesus is the one whom we put our trust in, that we look to him, that we understand who he is, where he came from, what work that he's done in the world. And the fact is, is that he is in charge, he is in control, and that we can trust him, that he is a good father, he is a good Lord, he is a good king. It's amazing to me that God chose to usher in his kingdom through the birth of a baby. It's one of the mysteries of Christmas. Why did the father decide that it was through a child, through a baby, through a helpless child that was born in, in, in the most meager circumstances to the most unassuming parents, why would God choose this way for his kingdom to be ushered in? In theory, Jesus could have used anyone. He could have used an angel. He could have sent an angel to be the Messiah, to be the deliverer. He could have even raised up as he did with Adam, a sinless man. He could have formed someone or spoken someone into being and used just a person. But he chooses to send his son. And God so loved the world that he gave his son and that Jesus as a part of the Godhead, as a part of the Trinity, was a part of the decision-making process that led to him stepping out of heaven and into earth and taking on flesh, but not just flesh, flesh in the form of of a child. See, he didn't do what was expected. He didn't do what is expected. He didn't arrive as an adult, as a conquering king. And I think one of the things that stands out to me about this in this passage is that God wasn't in a hurry. That there was a level of patience, a sense of patience there. Now God is beyond time and, and we understand that. But for our benefit, that we would recognize that God didn't just swoop in and just fix it automatically right out of the gate that there was a process and there's some things that we learn about the nature and the character of God even through the Christmas story and the birth of this baby and, and one of those is definitely that God was not in a hurry 
I think there was an urgency to the mission, but there was a there was a, an, an unhurried way about the way that Jesus was born into the world and the way he grew up and the fact that 30 years would pass before he would start his ministry. And, and really what we have in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the bulk of that happened in just a fraction of Jesus's life here on earth. But there was a whole lifetime that he lived before he even got to that point. Sometimes I think in the world and in our lives, we're in a hurry. We just want to go to the next thing and we just want to get it done. And there's this lesson woven into this story, the birth of Jesus, that, that maybe we need to slow down. Maybe we need to trust the plans of God and, un- and the unfolding of God before us to, to do the work that he needs to do without pushing that agenda along. It's a relinquishing of that control to say, God, you're in control. You're the one in charge. I'm going to trust you with my life. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this in verse 7. He says, rather, speaking of Jesus, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Here's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're in eternity, outside of time and space, outside of this world, And the decision is made that Jesus would come. And Jesus humbles himself. He makes himself nothing. And he takes on the very nature of a servant by being made in human likeness. The the analogy here, the picture here that Paul is painting for us is that we are the servants of God. That we have been created by him. We are not above him. That we are subject to him, that we are his servants. And Jesus takes on that same likeness. And not just likeness in flesh, but the likeness as a baby. Think about this a baby is absolutely helpless and absolutely vulnerable. Think about the amount of trust that Jesus had in the work of the Father. That Jesus had to trust that the Father would take care of everything that needed to be taken care of as he stepped into that place of vulnerability, knowing that the Father was fully in control. Jesus did that for us. Part of the gift of Christmas is that Jesus would model for us what it means to humble ourselves and trust the work of God in our lives, to trust the sovereignty of God in our lives, that Jesus did that by becoming a baby, a helpless child, The message for us is would we trust God that way with whatever is going on in our lives? And we have a lot going on in our lives. There's so many things happening in the world around us and happening in our homes and in our families and our workplaces, in the economy and people's health and and everything that's that's taking place here at home and, and around the world that we would step back and say, God, trust you. We can relate to Jesus. We can relate to the vulnerability that Jesus brings by being a baby. He says in verse 6 of Isaiah 9, he says, Isaiah says that the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. He says that this child, to us a son is given, a child is born. And, And Isaiah says it twice to emphasize he doesn't say that your conquering king is riding in on a, on a, uh, on a horse, on a, on a stallion. No, he's being born as a child, a son, a, a, a humble baby. 
But then his very next word are, and the government will be on his shoulders. That Jesus brought with him as he was born into the world the responsibility of rulership. That by ushering in that kingdom, that he would ultimately be king. And that there would be the carrying of all of that weight, all of that rulership on his shoulders. But here's the amazing thing, is that unlike the rulers of this world who seek to be served, those who would say that, that my position of authority, whether it's in a, in a small organization, uh, whether it's in, a, in the church, whether it's in government, whether it's in corporations, it doesn't matter where we see the, the, uh, the abuse of power, where the way the world functions and says, I am going to lay a hold of this power and make it serve me, that the way that Jesus came into the world was not that way. Jesus says of himself that he did not come to be served, but that he came to serve and give his life, that he laid his life down. He came in humility. He emptied himself, as Paul says in Philippians. He emptied himself of that divine nature, and he became a man, and he came into this world to serve. And right out of the the gate, right out of the beginning, Jesus models what it means to be a humble leader, to be a humble king, to be someone with authority who doesn't lord it over others. See, Jesus came to serve, and he did that. He, he, wa- he walked, and he served, and he obeyed in humility. He, he washed people's feet. He was the Lord of, of, of all things, the Lord of all, the King of kings. Yet he washed people's feet. He sat with people. He engaged with them. He didn't use his authority, and he didn't use his position to get his own way, but he came to give. Again, the picture of Christmas and even the gift giving is, is it, it harkens back to this idea that Jesus came to give his life as a blessing to us, to give us life. He gave his life so that we could have life. Well, Isaiah goes on to say four key things, and I want to st- we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about these four things. He says that he would be, and he will be called, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And I want, I want to unpack each one of those for just a minute. That Jesus would be our Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Why is he Wonderful well, because he's full of wonder, that we stand in awe of who he is, that there's just, it's, it's like when you see a Christmas light display and you're just, your eyes are just open wide and your breath is taken away. There's a, there's a great street in our neighborhood where the, all of the houses have lights and they're timed to music and you, you pull into that street and it's just overwhelming. You don't know where to look. And there's just a sense of, of wonder of just wonderment. It's incredible that when we look at Jesus, that there's a sense of wonder, that we stand in awe of him and who he is and what he brings into the world. The shepherds and the wise men were wowed by Jesus. Here they they come and they see, for the shepherds, they see this, this baby with the angels who are in awe of Jesus and they are just blown away. They are just wowed by him. And then later on, the the, the wise men would come and they would find Jesus as a young boy 
and here are these 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 lords, these kings, these wise men, this ma- these magi who come from a far land, and they bestow gifts on him, and they kneel at it. it, it just the the picture of that. These, these people who were adorned and they have an entourage, yet they come and they bow at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he is wonderful. That he is worthy of our awe. But he's not just wonderful. Isaiah says that he is our wonderful counselor. What is a counselor? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. Jesus is the one who helps us. He's both this, this being, this person, uh, the, this, the God who is worthy of our awe, Yet he's there to reach down and help us. It's the great mystery. It's the great picture of of heaven touching earth. That God eternal steps into this world to come and be with his creation, to help us, to intercede for us. And so this picture of a counselor, one who who brings advice, who walks along with people, who, who speaks into their lives, who gives direction, who stands. The Bible says that Jesus intercedes for us, even the picture of an attorney, which we, in, in our current context, we would call an attorney a counselor. They, they, they stand in be, on behalf of someone else and plead their case that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for us and continues to be that counselor. So both for our immediate needs and what's happening in our lives, but also for our eternity, that Jesus is our, he is your wonderful counselor, the one who has come to your aid. Isaiah goes on to say that, that he will be called mighty God, mighty God, not, not kind of powerful God, not sort of in control God, that he is mighty, he is full of might and power, that he is fully God and he is fully in control and that there is nothing that God is lacking, that there is nothing that he cannot do, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, he is omniscient, that he is omnipresent, that he is everywhere, he knows he can take care of any, every need. He is not limited, that he is mighty, that he spoke creation into being, and that that same God can move in our lives. Isaiah goes on to say that he, is, he would be called the everlasting father, the everlasting father. It can get a little confusing here because Isaiah refers to Jesus, to the Messiah, as father. But the picture here is not that He's confusing Jesus with uh, God the Father, but he's using the picture of a father, one who would nurture and, and protect and provide for his children. But unlike a father where maybe a father is absent or, or in a case of children growing up, my kids are at a stage of life where they're starting to get older and getting ready to even move out of the home, and I'll continue to be their father, but my role in their lives will change. The picture here that Isaiah gives is this, is that he is the everlasting father, that he's always present to protect, to provide, to cover, to nurture, to love, to hold, to comfort, to do all of those things. And that God is, that Jesus is our everlasting father, that through his birth into this world and the work that he did, the death that he died, and and the fact that he rose again to life, he is established as our everlasting father, and that's what we call him. And that that help and that protection and that provision is available to us today. And then finally, 
Isaiah says that he is the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. He is the one who carries the picture again of, of a kingdom of, of royalty is that he is the prince, that he carries that authority with him, the authority of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus brings peace. He is the one who makes peace. He, he establishes peace between God and between us. That's why Jesus was born into this world, to reconcile God to man. In fact, we talked about that in the, the, in the, in the Christmas carol we talked about in Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that Jesus would reconcile man to God and God to man, that Jesus brought peace, that he makes peace between us and God. But he also, more than that, or in addition to that rather, he brings peace into our current circumstances, no matter what's going on in our lives, that Jesus is the bringer of peace. And we sing a, a lot about peace at Christmas. We, we talk a lot about peace, and it's really out of this prophecy of Isaiah saying that he would be the Prince of Peace. He would be the one that establishes and, and, and makes peace f- uh, for us and continuing in every circumstance in our lives. See, Jesus is in charge. That's all Isaiah is saying is Jesus is in, in, in charge. That the world was out of control. That because of sin and because of separation between God and man, things were broken. But Jesus comes and he ushers in a new kingdom. And he establishes himself. He defeats sin and death and the grave. And he establishes himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is in charge. Maybe you're looking at the world around you going, who's in, tra- who's, who's in charge of this? What's going on? Know this, that Jesus continues to be in charge. In my heart, in my life, here's what I know rises up when I read this. There's hope. There's absolutely hope. Each of these attributes of who Jesus is causes hope to rise up. I pray my hope is that it causes hope to rise up in you, in the midst of a year that feels hopeless, in the midst of a year where you may be facing insurmountable challenges and maybe even devastating loss, maybe thinking as we get to the end of the year, looking at 2021 going, I, don't even, I can't even handle, I can't even think about what this next year will hold. Will things ever get better? Will ever things ever return to any sense of normalcy? You can feel a sense of despair and despondency. But I want to encourage you that you have a Savior who is in charge, that He is your wonderful counselor, that Jesus is your mighty God, that Jesus is your everlasting Father, and Jesus is your Prince of Peace. I'd love to share a story with you. One of the things we love to do here at church is uh, we share Thrive Stories stories of what God has done in our lives. And the truth is, is that so often Thrive Stories are really birthed out of some kind of adversity or problem or need, that those testimonies of what God has done start with a challenge, start with something that's, that's not going well. We read about all throughout Scripture, those who were blind and those who maybe were lame and those uh, you know, who, who had other issues, the, even the hungry, you know, they had the problem. They, they, the, the crowd was watching Jesus and they were hungry. And then there's a miracle 
that leads to them being healed, leads to them being fed, leads to their lives being transformed. I want to share a Thrive story from our own family. Uh, just over the last couple of weeks, some things that have happened for us and, uh, and just share with you even a moment where I had to stop and invite the hope and, and, and the peace of God into my own life. It was actually the day before Thanksgiving. We received a letter in the mail from our landlord. We rent our home and we got a, le- a letter from our landlord letting us know that our lease had been terminated. And it's just a, it's just a horrible feeling uh, no matter what. But on top of that, to have that happen in the midst of this year. Now, we didn't do anything wrong. We weren't getting evicted because we didn't pay our rent or anything like that. Uh, I believe they just want to sell the home. But it was definitely not great timing for us. So we went into Thanksgiving with this sense of grief and loss. And we love our house. We love where we live. And we've, you know, we've been there for a few years now. And, and now all of a sudden we're wondering where we're going to end up being. And we had a, a period of time um, that we had, and they gave us a, a, the, the legally allowed period of time to find a new place, but just super aware of the fact that it's Christmas, and, and trying to find a, a new place to live through the Christmas season just really started weighing on us, and, and so, so the, this burden starts just kind of weighing on my shoulders. Well, a few days later, we found out that our son tested positive for COVID, and through his, uh, through his involvement at his job, um, he, he engages with the public and, uh, and most likely contracted coronavirus. And so now we have this news. This is a, a few days later in the next week. And um, praise God, he's doing well. And, and he had mild symptoms and, and he's coming through that. Okay, but, but now we're compounded. Now we're having to look for a place to live. And our son has COVID and we're having to quarantine again. And... Um, and it's just a little, it's just a little frustrating. Well, that same afternoon, after Micah had let us know that he was positive, uh, we we were at home, and Megan and I were um, just getting ready for bed. And I got a text message on my phone from our bank that someone had managed to access our checking account and had committed fraud and um, actually spent quite a large amount of money out of our bank account. And I just, I just looked at Megan and I thought, I just said to her, I just kind of with a, a giggle or a laugh, I thought, oh my goodness, do you feel like we're being tested? Well, these things were just weighing on me. And it was a few days later, um, as we were trying to figure out what's next, how we need to find a place to live. We need to make sure our, our son is healthy and the rest of our family are, are healthy and now, now we have to battle getting this money back into our bank account. Can we even get it back? And um, figuring out terms of a new lease agreement while trying to, you know, negotiate with our current landlord, all of this. And it got to a point last week where I just felt absolutely overwhelmed. I felt that pressure. I felt the stress. And, and, I, and I say all this to say, you might be feeling something similar. Maybe the circumstances, your, your circumstances are probably different, but I'm sure that for many of you, there's things that you're facing that are weighing on you. And maybe you end up at a point where, like I did where I was sitting at our dining room table and I just felt the, the weight of everything and the stress about getting, getting the money back from the bank, getting 
getting our deposit back from our landlord, making sure that the house is ready. Uh, we did, by the way, we found another place to live. And, um, and by the time you hear this message, uh, we would be in, in the process of moving already. And so that the Lord took, took care of that. But there was this moment where I felt that, that pressure and I just had to stop and Megan and I stopped and, and I just said to her, babe, we can't, we can't worry about this stuff because God's in control. We know that the Lord is in control. We know that God is in charge and that he will fight for us, that he will go before us, that he will take care of us. And we sat and we prayed at our dining room table and I was just, I was overwhelmed by the peace of God that just flooded my heart. And I just felt even my anxiety diminishing and stopping. So glad to report that even within hours, we were getting emails and, and phone calls about money being restored. And thankfully that the money that was taken and stolen out of our account was restored by the bank. We were able to find a new place to live. We've reached an agreement with our landlord. All of those things have been worked out. And that God knew what needed to happen. But there was that moment where we have to stop and say, God, you're in charge you're in charge, that we can try and make sense, that we can try and fix, fix things. But Isaiah's promise to us about Jesus is this, is that he would be our wonderful counselor, that he would be our mighty God, that he would be our everlasting father, and that he would be our prince of peace. That is G who Jesus is, not in an ethereal, out there kind of way, but in a very practical way. Over these last few weeks, I've been ending with a question my question today is this, what are some burdens or fears that you can trust to God and trust to him today? What are some things that maybe are weighing on you, some areas in your life where you're trying to make sense, where you're trying to take control, where you need to just let it go and lay it at the feet of Jesus? What are some burdens or fears that you can entrust to God? And at the close of the service, would you take time to talk about that? Maybe be honest, be transparent, be vulnerable, and then would you, with the people that you're watching today, would you take a few minutes to pray? And would you release those things to, to the Lord and ask him to be your Prince of Peace in the midst of this Christmas season, that he would bring the care and the counsel and the covering and the provision that he desires to bring in your life. Sometimes it just takes us pausing for a minute and say, God, I need that. I need you to speak that into my life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your son. Jesus, I thank you that you came into the world. Lord, I thank you that you made the decision to step out of eternity and into this life, into this world, to take on flesh, to humble yourself and empty yourself so that we could relate to you, so that we could look to you to be our Lord, to be our King. We thank you that you are our wonderful counselor. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you, uh, that you are our mighty God, that you are our everlasting Father, and that you are our Prince of Peace. And I pray over every home, over every life, over every person, Lord, I pray your peace, I pray your strength, I pray your provision in the midst of the storms, God, that you would be there to sustain, to strengthen Lord, and, and I pray through this Christmas season that every home and every heart
would be filled with the hope that comes from knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray you have an amazing day, an amazing week as you prepare for Christmas. Please don't forget to invite someone to join you for service next week. We're going to have a great time as we celebrate Christmas together. Uh, Mark your calendars for the Christmas Eve service on the 24th. Uh, And then just take these next few minutes and, and discuss this question and close your time with prayer. We look forward to seeing you next time.